Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You see, Abraham, or Abraham as he was at this point, was not a righteous person. He wasn't the person that we could consider deserves God's call. But as it is here in Genesis and all around Scripture until today, God's call does not particularly go to the righteous because there is no one who is. And Abraham, just like everyone, was going on around his business. He was not really interested in God. And he lived in a community of people who were worshipping idols. And he himself was most probably an idol worshipper. But yet God's call goes to Abraham. And God says to him to leave all that he knows, all that he's familiar with, his country, his kindred, his immediate family. By the standard of the day, Abraham was a rich man. He had all the wealth. He had silver and gold and livestock. And in fact, he was about 75 years old. We might liken him to someone who is retired and has lived a successful career. And he should be enjoying his old age. He has made it. He is settled where he is. Yet God calls him to leave all that. God doesn't even call him to go to a place where Abraham knows. He says, go to the land that I will show you. God commands him to go to an unknown place. Believe 100% of us here, everyone, we're all foreigners in this land. And we're all here through visa applications. And just hold the thought, probably you were deceived by an agent. That's not the point here. But you wanted to leave your homeland, maybe for education or for economic purposes or for work. But you wanted to leave. But this is a man who is advanced in age, who is successful, who has no reason to live where he's settled in. And he's told to go to an unknown place. But what will Abraham do? Imagine speaking to his immediate family. And they say to him, are you crazy, Abraham? What are you thinking? So Abraham had only God's word. And he obeyed. His response was to obey. In the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of his comfort, Abraham obeyed God. He was called to go to a place, an unknown place. He didn't know where he was going. See, the application for us is not if we would go to an unknown place. Maybe if you're called in that special sense. But it's, the question is, 
we have God's word, are we going to obey him every day? Are we going to trust in his word? So there are so many voices all around clamoring for our attention. And we are being bombarded with multiple voices of all sorts calling for our individual undivided attention. But the way back to God must be to obey and listen to his voice. So today, God doesn't speak to us through audible voices in that sense. But he speaks to us through people, through events. And most certainly, most importantly, he speaks to us through his word. But just like Abraham obeyed God's call, will you obey? That's the first word, call. Abraham was called. In the midst of the call, there is a promise, which is the second word, promise. And here the promise appears in verses 2 and 3. In verse 7, in chapter 13 also, 16 to 17, in chapter 15, 1 to 7, and in chapter 17. Now, before we look at what the promise is, I want us to take a look at those two verses, 2 and 3 in chapter 12, and see that this whole promise begins with God asserting the fact that he is the one who will do this. He says, I will, in verse 2. That appears about five times. God says, I will, I will, I will. Everything going on here is God saying that he will accomplish this promise. Now, this is important for us because as human beings, we, we struggle to make promises. We try to be very careful when we make promises. Promises are a challenge for us. Be it commitments one-on-one or in businesses or doing ordinary things. We recognize that there could be circumstances beyond our control. Our powers are limited. You could promise one thing and tomorrow you wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And so you cannot accomplish that. But this is not, a, this is not so about God. God promises Abraham that he will. And there is that certainty that nothing, nothing will stop God's promises from coming to pass. Now, these promises are divided into two. We have the the personal promises, the individual promises to Abraham, and the second part, the global universal promise to Abraham. And in summary, the personal blessings to Abraham are that God would make him a great nation. That God will make his name great. 
See, if you look back to chapter 11, verse 4, at the Tower of Babel, where people came together to make a name for themselves. And that is, in a sense, man's desire to make a name from himself, to detach himself from God. Here God is saying to Abraham, what those people sort of fought for, and I brought in confusion among them, I will accomplish that for you. I will make a name for you. So this blessing was for the benefit of Abraham himself. And that God would give him an offspring, a child, a seed. And the blessing for Abraham in terms of the ancient world, he was successful. He was well respected. He was wealthy. He had many descendants. That was God's promise to Abraham. Now the second part of the, of the blessings, which is the global blessing, the universal blessings, where God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if we're going back to the song, Abraham's blessings are mine. It's at this point that so many people begin to insert themselves. That's why I try carefully to show us that there are two aspects to this blessing. And people try to insert themselves into the personal blessings that God has given to Abraham, that God spoke to him. And they begin to name and claim it that, you know, I will be a great nation. My name will be great. I will be a blessing. Anyone who curses me will be cursed. You see, we cannot just insert ourselves into the text. We have to see carefully that God is saying this to Abraham, that this is a blessing to him. And that yes, through this man, Abraham, all the nations, all the world, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the problem with claiming the blessing of Abraham for ourselves, expecting physical, earthly blessings, is again that this blessing was given to Abraham specifically for a specific reason. It is a serious error when we get into inserting ourselves and substituting Abraham for ourselves. But yes, there is a point that this blessing touches us and should touch us. And that is at the global aspect, at the universal aspect of this blessing. That through him, through his seed, through his offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This was God's promise to Abraham. This is not a direct promise to anyone who just substitutes his name. This is a direct promise to Abraham. 
But Abraham had a challenge. And he faced the challenge that so many of us do face. Because this is God coming to him at age 75. And then in chapter 15, God comes back and repeats the promise to him. And this time, Abraham is 86. This is 11 years had gone, had gone by. And Abraham says to God, I'm an old man. I have all this wealth. But I do not have anyone to inherit it. In fact, it is my servant who will inherit it. But God says, no. There is a particular child that will come from your loins, from you who will inherit this, who will inherit all your property. Abraham was in, in a sense in an impossible position. He was 86 years old. His challenge was, is he going to believe God? Is he going to trust God? Is he going to place his faith in God? Which is our third word, faith. Because that is exactly what Abraham did. In verse 16, in verse 6 rather of chapter 15, he believed the Lord and he counted, to, he counted it to him as righteousness. So what did Abraham believe? In a sense, he believed the gospel. Because this was a man who, just like each and every one of us, was a stranger to God before God's call came unto him. Abraham didn't know God before God came to him and called him. And in the midst of the impossibility, Abraham believed God. Because Abraham had come to know this God. This God was no longer a stranger to Abraham. And the Bible calls Abraham a friend of God. Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. The passage we read in, in Galatians chapter 3, if we would turn to that passage, Galatians chapter 3, verse, verse 7, says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of of Abraham. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed, so that these or those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham believed the good news, the good news that made that makes someone a friend of God. That he who was a stranger, and here Paul uses the word Gentiles. Because the Jews, are, we are sort of the opposite of the Gentiles. The Jews were the physical descendants of Abraham. And in that sense, they were in the community of God through that. And the Gentiles were those who were outside our community. They were strangers to God. They didn't know God. But Abraham came to know God through faith. And it's the same way that the Gentiles come to know this God and trust him through faith. That same faith that Abraham showed 
is the fate of the gospel, the good news. That those who were far away from God can come to know him. Years ago when I moved, I was about to move to a city in Nigeria, Lagos, a big city, large population. I was given an advice. As you're moving around, don't when you arrive, don't speak to strangers. Because in Lagos, you don't trust anyone. Even someone in suit, dressed, smartly dressed like Pastor Phil, is a number one suspect. Don't trust him. But if you see a policeman in uniform or any other officer, then you can ask them for directions. Don't trust the stranger. And you see, Abraham trusted God because God was no longer a stranger to him. So is it possible that the difficulty of you trusting God, of believing the good news, is because you are a stranger to God? And in fact, the Bible says, yes, that is it. In Ephesians, Paul describes unbelievers as those alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But Abraham trusted God. And because of that, God declared him as righteous. And it's still that very good news that comes out to us today. Coming to know God, we can be friends of God just like Abraham. The father of faith. Going back to Genesis. In chapter 12, Abraham is 75. In 15, he's 86. And God promises him that he would have a child. Just thinking of it, there are years of silence. After 86, God goes silent again. And in chapter 16, his wife Sarah comes to him. Well, it seems this promised thing is not going on. And if it's happening, maybe it's, it's definitely not going to come from me. Well, let us think of another way to maybe assist God to accomplish this. Remember, God had promised that he will. That he will. And so Abraham agrees to the suggestion of his wife. And he has a child through her. And God comes back 13 years after that. When Abraham is 99. And God calls him to walk with him and be blameless. That he will make a covenant between him. And multiply him greatly. That he will make him exceedingly fruitful. He will establish his covenant with him. An everlasting covenant. And in 15, God goes on and says, Through your wife, Sarah, you would have a child. Abraham is 99. 
His wife is 10 years younger than him. She's 89. What do you expect Abraham to do? What should be his response? Well, Abraham, his response is exact, the exact response that every right-thinking person would give. He laughs. But this is not a funny laughter. No, we talk about tears of joy and tears of sorrow. Abraham laughs because it's impossible for an 89-year-old woman to have a child. And that is the question he, he brings to God. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He laughs. It is not possible. And Sarah also, when she hears of this, she also laughs. If you look at chapter 18, verse 9, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Because the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she laughed to herself saying, If I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She laughed. Shall I indeed have a child now that I'm old? Answer, logically, no. It is impossible. But here's the question. Is anything too hard? For the Lord. You see, this is the same God who spoke the world into being. This is the same God who made heaven and earth. This is the same God who created Adam and Eve. Who says, I will do this. He has promised that he will do this. And nothing can stop God from accomplishing the purpose that he has set in place. It is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for anything to stop God from accomplishing his purpose because he is God. Question, is anything too hard for the Lord? By all human evaluation and standard, it was impossible. But there is nothing that God has planned or proposed to do that he cannot do. Yes, Sarah was barren. She was old. She had no child. But God has said that it is through you and Abraham that this child will come. Friend, that is exactly what happened. Because in chapter 21, that promise, a fourth word, fulfillment, that promise is fulfilled. Chapter 21, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which the Lord had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, 
whose Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Isaac means he laughs. So they look at that child and they see God's promise fulfilled at the right time, at the appointed time. And this child, through him, God continued his plan of making a new people for himself. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. And the line continues from, Esau, from Isaac, rather, and to the nation of Israel. And ultimately, to a woman who herself, not that she had a husband and was old, but she was a virgin. Because just as Sarah's situation was impossible, but at least Sarah had a husband, Mary was a virgin. And when the angel came to her and announced that she was going to have a child, what was her response? How could this be? This is impossible. Because we know where children come from. But the angel said to her, without God, for God, nothing is impossible. What God had planned to do, he will accomplish. And returning to to Galatians, which we read, Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of this virgin whose situation was impossible to have a child. But God had a plan that went back, goes back to the promise to Abraham. He was born under the law. For what purpose? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Going back to chapter 3, Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that we might receive a promised Holy Spirit. See, friends, the the message of Christmas, it's simple. That as some of us will be celebrating next Sunday, This very child in him is this promise. This very child in the manger that in him is this promise. That it is through him that the Gentiles will be blessed. That God's plan all along was leading to this. And at the fullness of time, God sent his son. And that God's plan wasn't ultimately the manger, but that this child will go to the cross. Because there Paul says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. As it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. That on the cross, the curse 
the sin, the misery, the pain, the wickedness was poured on Christ. That it's only as if he took it upon himself that through that the blessings of God might flow to everyone who believes. You see, God poured out his wrath on his son so that this promise that he gave to Abraham will come to us. Going back to, to the song that we started with, I want you to ask yourself, for those of us who have always sang that song, Abraham's blessings are mine. What were you really singing? What were you really singing? Were you singing about the fact that through Christ, the one through whom this blessing comes to us, were you singing that through him you have become a friend of God, that you have become a child of God, that you are in God's family. Because that is what it's all about. It's not about aspiring to be as wealthy as Elon Musk. Because if it is, he has the material blessings. He doesn't need the gospel. But if it is that for a certain, the problem of man, your problem is deeper than material wealth, it's a sin. It is the fact that there is a curse on humanity. And it's only in Christ that that is taken away. It is only true that, that you know God's blessing. If that's not why you're singing that song, then you have to reconsider singing that song. Christ became a cause for us. Christ hung on the tree so that the blessing of Abraham might come to us. See, that is the gospel call. I know each and every one of us are concerned about so many things, but the call that went out to Abraham is a gospel call for us. Is it one that we are going to respond to and obey and trust this God and hold on to his promises in the midst of the chaos all around and see that God's plan will come to fruition. God's plans will come to pass because it has, the story hasn't ended the story hasn't ended. As Jesus said at the beginning of Acts, he will come back. And as he was taken up into heaven, the angels spoke to the disciples, this same Jesus, who you've seen go, will come back. And that is where our hope lies. That we are waiting for that to be fulfilled. But the joy of that is only for those who truly share in the blessing of Abraham. 
The joy of that is for only those who know their sins forgiven in Christ. Are you sharing in that blessing? Do you truly know that blessing today? Just a moment of silence before we rise and sing our last hymn. Oh, help the power of Jesus' name.